When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Alan White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, November 5th, 2018, from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. And if you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough... Leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air here, again, by calling 929-274-3437. This week, Week 9 action in the National Football League. College football gets good, and Week 10 as the playoff standings tighten up. We'll recap our picks in this week's six-pack segment and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. We've yet to be disappointed doing this show, and hopefully that remains the same as the seasons wear on. Week 10 in college football, week 9 in the National Football League. Both almost going a little bit of chalk, at least with some of the teams that have been in discussion. We have seen some teams maybe step away from the pack a little bit in the NFL as of Sunday, and we can get into that a little bit now. And Why don't we start with your team? Because that was a big game. Anytime the Steelers and the Ravens play each other, it's a big game, and the trend as of late has been the road team actually pulling out the victory in the past couple of years. Unfortunately for your Ravens, such was no the case pull, again this week. No, no pulling out today. Uh, this was a game that the, the Steelers, first of all, John, uh, I hope you had a wonderful 29th birthday in recovery mode after the Red Sox World Championship. So you had to follow up uh, your hated rivals with your birthday the next day. Yeah, it wasn't but, official uh, as of when we ended last week. Right. I, I guess we can let everyone know. Yes, indeed, the Red Sox did win the World Series. And you know, rightfully so, best team all year long from pillar to post. Hell of a season, hell of a run. Uh, Dodgers committed some serious faux pas that could have kept them in the series, but that's part and parcel of not being the best team. Red Sox were, Red Sox deserved it, much to your chagrin. Now we had for the offseason, free agency, qualifying offers, et cetera, et cetera, and the, the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sweeps things. But that's for next week. Uh, for this week, it's as you brought up uh, leading off with my pathetic Ravens and their prevent offense. And the, the difference in this game was finishing drives and not finishing drives. You know, the Steelers have playmakers uh, and they have the ability to get the ball into the end zone. And the Ravens have to set up fields. The Ravens just, you know, year after year after year, uh, since the loss of Ray Rice, since the loss of Torrey Smith, since the loss of Steve Smith, they, they really have no, game breakers they have no guys that, that are going to beat you big time yards after the catch by breaking text yes john brown came in from the cardinals and he stretched the field and you know beat you deep but you know you don't see the ravens with a 15 yard slant turned into the 65 yard touchdown the you know the beckham kind of play you don't see a raven running back you know turn a five-yard run into a 45-yard run uh, they're just, they, they draft some nice players, but as much as I love Ozzie Newsome, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame GM, the last few years of the Ravens drafts have been very, very, very weak. Uh, you know, too, too many tight ends. Uh, this year, again, another first round pick on a tight end when they take a tight end every year. You know, they trade up for the Louisville quarterback, which to me, 
I mean, I'm dying for them to take either one of the Georgia running backs. They trade up to take the Louisville quarterback. It's just not happening. They do not have enough weapons. They do not put the ball in the end zone enough. Uh, The defense is probably a little bit overrated, but there's so much pressure on it because of the inability of the offense to make scoring plays. Crabtree, nice possession receiver, okay? Uh, You know, Sneed, who they brought in, nice hands guy, third down player, but they just don't have the ability to make plays in the red zone. And Flacco missed a wide open receiver today, you know, uh, early in the game. Then Crabtree drops one at the goal line. They just don't finish drives. And that's not good enough. Not when you're playing somebody as good as the Steelers and your Hall of Fame quarterback in Roethlisberger and, you know, their bevy of receivers. They they manage to get a wide receiver every year. They never need one, but, you know, they they go out and they draft shoes. You know, Ravens could have drafted him. They don't. They they waste a first-round pick. You know, on the kid out of Central Florida who turns out to be, you know, an absolute bust and is already released. Uh, they just don't get any kind of damage on the offensive side of the ball. And, it, you know, they have to be too perfect. They don't have the ability to have a player, or they don't have the players that make a defense really, really work. And it kills them in these big games, you know, against quality opponents, uh, you know, whether it's against New Orleans, you know, whether it's against Pittsburgh today, uh, you know, they'll have to play Atlanta. Uh, they're in deep trouble at four and five, plain and simple. And you know, Pittsburgh just keeps rolling along. Uh, they find a way. Roethlisberger always finds a way. And that's why he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, we had heard before the game from Adam Schefter, I believe, that John Harbaugh potentially is coaching for his job. So as a fan, I'll ask you if you think that's true for this season or even if if that's really the problem, if getting a new coach would fix this or if it's not really so much on him. I think the uh, I, I think it's time. Ozzie Newsom is stepping down and I think it, this will be the last year of I, I don't know if they would make a change in season, uh, but I think uh, it's time, you know, the, unless you're the Patriots, these things run their, they, they run their course. And I think the core, and I love Jen Harbaugh. He's a good coach. He's not a great coach. He's a good coach. He's always got clock management issues, always. Uh, but I think that the John Harbaugh, Joe Flacco regime uh, has run its course. And, and I think it's time. Uh, I don't think Lamar Jackson is the answer. Uh, I could be dead wrong, uh, but he would not have been, my choice uh, for the next quarterback of the Ravens, uh, whether or not he's going to be the next quarterback of the Ravens. I don't know. Uh, they certainly moved up in the draft to take him. So you would think that that was the succession plan, but I think it's time for the, uh, to move on from the Flacco and, and John Harbaugh regime and some, some fresh voices and fresh faces, because this is, you know, it's the same thing over and over and over again now. Year after year after year, it's the close games. It's the inability to finish drives, you know, inability to answer in the last couple of minutes of games, uh, make game tying or game winning drives, uh, the inability to hit an open receiver, uh, the inability to make a big play, the inability to get a big stop and get off the field on third down, uh, and just a throw for the ages by Aaron Rodgers uh, to potentially tie this game up on an absolutely beautiful throw on this Sunday night uh, mano-a-mano matchup between he and Tom Brady. Uh, not to interject, but uh, I, I think the, I think you will see a change, yes. And for the Steelers, they start the season off, and as always, there's drama. And I don't think the Steelers, in a sense, would have it any other way. Cause it, it well, they're, always... the drama, they're the drama queens. Exactly. But it, it always seems to come together in the end in some way, shape, or form. We had the Le'Veon Bell holdout. We had the slow start. Now here they sit 5-2-1. and one. James Conner, another 100-plus yard game. He hasn't lost any step that Le'Veon Bell could have provided and has, by the stats, done better than Le'Veon Bell has done up to this point, mostly for the Steelers at, at this stage of the season. I don't blame Le'Veon Bell for doing what he did. I don't necessarily blame the Steelers for doing what they did. It will be interesting to see what happens with him both this season and after this year. But for the Steelers, I mean, hey, they're back. They're back where well, I don't they know, expect I don't to be. Know where, I don't think they went anywhere. 
I don't they have the most. They have the most talent. They have the best quarterback in the division. They have the best receivers in the division. They have the best running back who doesn't want to play. So they bring in another kid who goes into their system behind their wonderful offensive line. They have, to some degree, upgraded their defense. We'll see how it'll play against better competition. All right, uh, you know when they play Cincinnati again. Although AJ Green is now out for an extended period of time, that's a mammoth loss for the Bengals who had a bye this week. Um, you know, they're done with the Ravens who aren't that much of a threat offensively anyway, but as we get to the postseason, when they have to play New England, when they have to play Kansas city, or they have to play Phillip rivers and company, who had another huge win today. We will see how that defense holds up. It's better than it was down the stretch last year. How much better will determine whether or not they are a true threat to get to the Super Bowl. Not back quite yet. And a lot of teams standing in their way, at least in the division, but I thought for the Falcons to win in blowout fashion at Washington today, another one o'clock game, quite the win for them. Julio Jones finally reaches the elusive end zone for once. They had a great game, and they started to look like and have been looking like that team that we saw get at least to the Super Bowl. And again, it's a long very way to tough, go. very tough road to hoe, though. Right, you know, both the Panthers, you know, and the Saints win big games today. Panthers playing terrific. They have the Steelers coming up, and which should actually be a tremendous Thursday night game. The Saints knock off the undefeated Rams. You know, that that's an incredibly tough spot for the Falcons because. Uh, only two wildcard spots. And it looks like one of them is going to come from their division. And the other one is up for grabs, whether it's the central, whether it's the competition out West, you know, Seattle, big loss for them drops in the 500 that helps the Falcons, um, you know, crap shoot in the East Falcons still have a tough road to home. Basically, if we're looking at it, <laughs> we, we didn't see anything today that, was was too too shocking as far as the teams that we've discussed on this show that we think will get to at least the playoffs and probably get to a, a championship game with a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Everybody Look, took I, care of their I, business. I, in I, a I, sense. Barring injury, which is huge in the National Football League, barring injury, which is mammoth, I still think Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I don't care where they play. I think they're going to the Super Bowl. They look fantastic, and it, uh, look, it's it's amazing how much they, they will give they, look up, they will give they will give up points. They will absolutely absolutely positively give up points, whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's San Diego, whether it's obviously New England. You can score on, them, but they're going to get healthier defensively. They're not going to get worse. They're going to get better, and I, I think the offense is going to get better. There are just so many weapons on that offense between the running back, the wide receivers, the tight end, right, and this incredible young quarterback, I think Andy Reid is going back to the Super Bowl. Mark the tape. I'll be happy to admit that I'm wrong because I'm wrong far more often than I'm not. All right. So it's not like it's anything or shedding for me to admit that I was wrong. You know, Dodgers in five, by the way, was there. Dodgers in six was the AWP prediction. Couldn't have been more. Couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I truly believe that they are an unstoppable force, barring major injury in the AFC. Well, interestingly enough, the team that we expected to rival them, potentially the team that we would see play them when that Super Bowl came around, is the LA Rams, who lost in a shootout to the Saints. So the question is, is that defense a red flag? Was this just a bad game? Was this just Drew Brees and the Saints having a great game plan at home? Or maybe a, a couple red flags for that Rams vaunted defense that does have some injuries to it, but we saw it was vulnerable today. Well, we've talked about the secondary being banged up, and it really showed today. I, I don't know um, when Talib is coming back, but not a moment too soon for that secondary and Peters, uh, you know, who they got from Kansas city is, I believe he's got a calf issue, hamstring issue. I'm not sure which it is, but he's been very spotty. And the thing that was, was most surprising today 
is when they stunningly got that game back to 35 all shockingly when you thought it was over, they hold New Orleans to a field goal, which is a good job. 38, 35. And then the offense, which had brought them back and drive after drive, turned this into a game could not answer. And in a big third down did not convert. And then lo and behold, you know, third and long, there is their leading receiver somehow, some way, you know, wide, wide, wide open that puts the game away for a 70 plus yard touchdown. Um, and I just always find it shocking how the guy who's a leading receiver on any team in big spots is uncovered, you know, with all these grand defensive schemes. And again, it's the one game I never played, whether it's a cover two, whether it's a deep zone, whether it's man to man, pass them off. Yada, 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 all the lingo you want to use. How is the guy who's the leading receiver and the biggest threat on any team in the National Football League wide open on third and long where there's no one within the same area code of? What kind of what kind of scheme is that? This is the question. Uh, I have by the way, oh, by the way, nobody's even near 11. How does that work? Here's the question, though. And you've been a fan of sports a lot longer than I have. We differ in some a millennial elder type of issues. The cell phone celebration in homage of Joe Horn. Thoughts? That was 15 years ago. <laughs> 2003. All right. Uh, do I need to see us? Because huh. it, it, it's the 15th anniversary? I don't know. All, all I know is... Uh, that stuff does nothing for me. Does that? It, it really doesn't. Um, it adds nothing. Uh, I, I can do without it. I understand, uh, you know, this notion of let the players express their emotions, etc., and, and celebration. But that's old school, old hat. Um, so you know, it, it, it makes no never mind to me. Uh, no import whatsoever. The the, th- the thing that shocked me was the uh, the inability there of uh, of the Rams to get off the field uh, in a huge spot, and that was the game. All right, so that could have been worse. Not too bad for the celebration. What I find interesting about that is, from what I understand, Michael Thomas hasn't scored a touchdown at home since week two in that end zone. So how long has that phone been there? Is this planted every game? Is there one at each end zone? In an age of cell phones, like the joke was made for the Joe Horn incident, there were flip phones then. Like there wasn't the social media mirage that we have going on now in 2018 where reporters have phones, players have phones. Nobody caught him doing this before the game. We would have saw the video. So I'm interested on the behind the scenes aspect of this. Oh, he probably had the equipment guy put one at each end. We'll have to find out. I'm I'm sure the story, somebody will get down to it. I'm sure Michelle Tafoya or somebody is, that's the first thing they're going to do when it comes down to reporting for this. I'm I'm not holding my, I'm not holding my breath for that story. Another question for you is, is it time now to believe in the Houston Texans, in Deshaun Watson? I preface that by saying this was my Denver Broncos, who have a great defense at home, but, you know, not, not the greatest of efforts. Uh, a couple times Vance Joseph thinking, hey, let's play for a 50-plus yard field goal. It worked so well the first time. I'm sure we'll be able to do it this last time when it means the most, but that's for another tale. 0-3 to 6-3. and three. Not too shabby. A win on the road in the National Football League, especially in Denver, is a terrific win. And, you know, I'm the one who's always doubted, as you know, Houston with this kid at the helm, wanting to see a healthy full season. 0-3, now 6-3. and three. Look, the, the kid is getting it done. It's as simple as that. He is doing whatever is necessary to get his team wins. He is getting it done in every big spot. Hey, dodged a bullet today. And was this their best effort? Obviously not. Um, and he lost one of his prize wide receivers, but uh, lo and behold, one of your guys uh, came over and uh, didn't seem to miss a beat in his first game. Hooray. 
<laughs> Thank God they let me ask, let me ask you how upset are you about that? I mean, the folks, we're talking about Demarius Thomas, who, if you didn't know, was traded from the Broncos uh, to Houston uh, before the trade deadline, and today you simply basically just had to change uniforms and stay in the same field. Yeah, as a fan, I I dislike, and I'm sure a lot of fans dislike the trade player for pick trade. And we saw that for most of leading up to the deadline. Golden Tate changes teams for a draft pick. So-and-so changes teams for a draft It's nice to at least get somebody back in return so you can play the, oh, well, maybe he'll have this type of impact on the team when you have to wait for someone to draft said person, especially when that person is John Elway that's doing the drafting. We know he hasn't necessarily been the best at that in the most recent years. It was rough. Demarius has had incredible tenures and incredible plays he was fueled by Peyton Manning being his quarterback which is why he holds several Denver records he made Tim Tebow get his first playoff win against the Pittsburgh Steelers he's done a lot for that team he's also had some crucial drops some head shaking plays but a lot of players do I love Demarius Thomas he was great in his time I mean, there. He, he, ca- he caught an awful lot of balls yeah. for your team for an awful lot of yards and an awful lot of scores. And remember, you know, the legendary you know, overtime catch, you know, with Tim Tebow's greatest moment as an NFL quarterback. Well, and, and it's funny, too, for him, like, you have to feel good for him, too, in the fact that now he gets to go to the Texans, have Deshaun Watson as his quarterback. No offense to Emmanuel Sanders, but now he gets to line up on the other side of DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best receiver in the National Football League. Certainly one of the top. He's going to have a blast. He's going to have a blast over there. Certainly one of the top handful of wide receivers in the National Football League, no doubt about it, who had one of the greatest answers uh, in a press conference uh, in response last week to, you know, the question from the reporter, do you think you're the best wide receiver in the National Football League? And he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, what do you think? And the, the reporter said, yes, just, well, there you go. There you go, right there, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And and he goes from having to make Peyton Manning look good in his final year where he didn't have it anymore, but they won that Super Bowl, which we'll always be grateful for, to now having to make Case Keenum look good. And it, it just wasn't the same, and I'm sure he's happy to get out of there. There's been a couple pictures floating around social media of him after the game hugging Peyton Manning's two children, two of his bigger fans, and they already Peyton's son already has a Demarius Thomas Texans jersey, so I don't know how he was able to get a Demarius Thomas Texans jersey made within like a five- or six-day period, but when you're Peyton Manning, a couple phone calls, there's no problem there. Speaking of press conferences, I guess we should ask maybe – Matt Patricia should spend less time worrying about the posture of reporters and the decorum of the dress wear of the guys asking the questions. Maybe spend some more time prepping for your opponent and not getting embarrassed yet again. How about how about how about how about taking a shave, man? (laughs) How about doing that? All right. How about taking a shave? You know, and how do you eat soup with that beard? That's what I want to know. How do you? he looks ridiculous. You know, when you're an assistant coach, it's fine. When you're a head coach, clean it up. Would you please clean it up? Dinty more. All right. Enough already. Very, very curious comments coming from him. I, I didn't understand it. I'm surprised that if he were to say something like that, it wasn't done making it obviously that he was being joking with it and he wasn't being serious that no, this, this was a serious like slapback remark of the now three and come looking professional. The now three and six lines. Yep. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on sports radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. How about the Chargers winning another one of these games that they always lose up in Seattle? Seattle not looking great. A wild finish. uh, You know, a huge uh, pick six by Russell Wilson puts them under the gun. Caleb Sturgis does everything in his power 
to keep this game in the hat with two missed extra points and a missed 43-yard field goal. I believe the first kicker to do that since, I believe, the late 70s. I believe it's the standard. I think 79. But that, be that as it may, uh, Seattle fights back. And then, courtesy of a pass interference penalty, uh, gets an untimed down from the one-yard line with a chance to score and needing a two-point conversion to tie it up. They go empty backfield, which to me is just beyond belief, taking away the threat of the run unless he's going to go by himself, get called for procedure. So now it's uh, an untied down from the six. Uh, deflected pass in and out of the hands of the receiver. Uh, and, yes, the games that the Chargers always used to lose, they are now winning. And it's funny. You probably always look because of the lack of any rings. Uh, as Philip Rivers as the third of the triumvirate uh, in that draft uh, with Roth- Roethlisberger, he and Pitt and uh, excuse me, uh, Eli Manning. And right now, you could certainly make the argument he's playing as good as any of them. You could probably make the argument he's playing better than anyone right now. He has stood the test of time, and he has probably dropped off the least. Of the three, um, obviously Manning has fallen off the face of the earth and looks very old. Phil Rivers really doesn't look any different than he's ever looked because he never made any plays with his legs other than just like buying a little time and throwing a ball into the ground. Rawley's burger is not as nimble as he used to be, although he's still a bear to bring down and still throws the ball very well, although I don't think his arm is what it used to be. Rivers probably, of the three, uh, and this is no knock on Roethlisberger, may have stood the time better, tested time better than all of them. I can agree with that. And is doing more for his team now, maybe, than any of the three. And it's funny. And that's, that's, it's close. It's close with Big Ben. Because Big Ben is special. And Big Ben does things, you know, that only a few guys can do because of his size and strength. But Phil Rivers is playing as good as he's ever played, I think. The funny thing for this is you can take a step back and make an argument Big Ben will most likely get into the hall, two championships. He's done wonders oh, for Pittsburgh. Eli will done. most likely get in as well, two championships, done wonders for the Giants. But you could argue that right now, with the way Phillip Rivers is playing, he's increasing his chances to get into the hall, and Eli is decreasing his chances of getting in based on continuing to go out there and look awful year after year for the past several. I don't know if that will make the- any... I don't know if that'll have anything to do with the end results, but hey, a couple more years if it keeps this trend. You could argue it when it comes time to put on those jackets. Everybody talks about the numbers. Well, if you're going to talk about the numbers for everybody else, you have to talk about the numbers for Phil Rivers. And yes, it's a pass happy era, but that's got to go to Tom Brady. That's got to go to Eli Manning. That's got to go to Rogers. That's got to go to breeze. So it's got to go in favor of rivers as well for against him. Is he going to wind up as the all time leading San Diego passer in all categories, which would put him ahead of hall of famer, Dan Fouts, who has no rings. Well, if, that, if it's a yes, then how do you keep him out? It'll be a good argument. I've always said, I mean, as a Denver fan, I, I don't, I can't like Philip Rivers. He's against you, but he wouldn't be somebody that I would hate having as a quarterback. I mean, you would shake your head at some of his interceptions, especially on the last drives of the games and losing games in a sense. But, hey, Brett Favre used to do that too. I mean, he's a guy that's going to go out there and give you everything he has. He's going to sling it when he needs to. Every down, every play, every game, he never, ever, ever gives up. He never, never hangs his head. He's feisty. He'll scream at his guys. I I don't want to see a guy. Look, I understand body, uh, body, you know, body language. Uh, you know, they, they, some of these guys supposed to pay attention to it. Okay, that's fine. You want to know something? I'll take Phil Rivers any day of the week. Phil Rivers will be my quarterback anytime, any place, anywhere, because he's a warrior. He never, ever gives up on a game. Ever, ever. He's always out there fighting down to the last play of every game that he's in. 
We can switch over to college football because, as we mentioned, there wasn't too much to surprise this week in the National Football League. As far as, like, there were some surprises, but let's play teams that actually matter (laughs) until we can make some final decisions. We're getting closer to that point in college football. We've been blessed with the farce that is the top 25 official rankings, these long shows that we have to sit through to get the final rankings and where everyone stands for the college football playoff. To me, it's a farce for the first several weeks because the top four is most likely going to change. Teams are going to start playing each other. They're going to get bumped around. But if you're in sports, and especially in sports media, you have to take it seriously because it's a talking point and something that will get you through a three- or four-hour show. Thankfully, our show isn't that long, so we don't have to spend as much time on it. Looking like in the early AP rankings, the coaches' polls, everything that's been coming out over that weekend, Michigan's in the top four. Georgia is fifth. The top three that we've been speaking about, Clemson, Notre Dame, and, of course, Alabama, remain in those top three. Any surprise that Michigan has made a little bit of moves here, at least in the initial AP and the coaches' poll? Well, I think you have to look at the big picture. How badly did Florida's beating at the hands uh, of Mizzou at home impact the thoughts of LSU, who lost to Florida, who game of the century, supposedly, got shut out by Alabama. Uh, in a game we were all dying to see in Death Valley, that was really never a game. All right, how much did all of that impact Georgia, who got spanked by LSU for their only loss, who had a terrific win at Kentucky? One of the few things I got right, I said on the morning men that they would roll. I said they would cover. I said they beat them by twenty. They were at twenty-eight-three. Um, they wound up winning uh, and, and covering easily. Uh, but how much is all of that going to impact the committee vis-a-vis Georgia? I think it will because they look at all of that. Meanwhile, Michigan is rolling. They pummel Penn State. And who's their only loss to? An undefeated Notre Dame team. So everything is playing out well for Michigan. Uh, they are playing much better. Shea Patterson looks like he's finally coming around and made the transition from the SEC to the Big Ten and the Ole Miss offense to Jim Harbaugh's offense. They're playing terrific on defense. Uh, they completely shut down a Penn State team. They have pretty good offense. Although their hotshot quarterback, James Franklin's best player in America, um, was clearly banged up. But Michigan's hitting not only cylinders. Are they the most exciting team in the world? Absolutely not. But the ball is starting to get thrown down the field a little bit. And the defense is playing absolutely lights out. But you know who's in the room. You know who's in the room. Ohio State's going to be in the room soon. And is Jim Harbaugh's revenge tour going to be able to beat Urban Meyer and company, uh, who struggle against Nebraska? Doesn't mean they won't be ready to ready to rock against Michigan. But is the revenge tour going to be able to get it done against the Scarlet and Gray? If so, they're a playoff team. If not, it's no go. I'm shocked at how early, and this isn't anything new, everyone in college football has been saying this, how early the SEC championship game has already been decided. Alabama's going to play Georgia. So the question is, and we still have some unanswered things, of course, but we posed this question last night on Nightcap. If Alabama has one loss and does not have a conference championship, meaning that that one loss most likely would have come to Georgia. Does Alabama get in the college football playoff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that not even a question question in my mind? It's interesting because then you would assume would Georgia then be the team that gets in at four? Or would well, we'll Michigan have to wait and see what it, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Michigan and Ohio State. And the we have Big to wait Ten and see, champion and we have, would and we have to again. wait and see what and we have to wait and see what happens with Notre Dame. We don't know that Notre Dame is going to bat out. They still have to go to USC. 
that they're going to Yankee Stadium and take off the juggernaut Syracuse Orange, who, if not for an overtime loss at the hands of Pitt, a tough Pitt team, Syracuse, astonishingly, is the only team that has even remotely resembled staying on the field with Clemson. You know, as you know better than anybody, because you pound Clemson every week in our six-pack after what they did to Louisville, Syracuse lost to Clemson in the last 40 seconds at Clemson. For some reason, they beat them last year. Right? They're the only team that has given them a snootful two years running, beating them last year in the Dome, almost beating this year at Clemson. If it, not, if it was not for a pit loss in overtime, a game that Syracuse had won and gave away, they would be playing Notre Dame in a game that arguably Syracuse could say, if we beat Notre Dame, where's the Final Four discussion? Don't get me wrong, folks. I'm a Syracuse alum who has no notions that we belong in any discussion whatsoever. But that's the way this thing rolls in terms of who you play, when you play them, how you play against them. So I don't think that the Notre Dame-Syracuse game is a foregone conclusion. Uh, However, Notre Dame also still has to go to USC. At USC, remember, when the game is later, it's out there. When it's earlier, it's in Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is not a slam dunk to go undefeated. And one loss for Notre Dame is all it's going to take, and they're out. One and done. They have no margin for error whatsoever, unlike Alabama. All right. Michigan, no margin for error. Clemson, margin for error. The trouble is the Clemson loss is going to come to a team that is not a top team. So a Clemson loss is an incredibly damaging loss in the ACC final. And that will probably cost them, if it should happen, as unlikely as it might seem, and it is incredibly unlikely where they're playing, that may cost them a Final Four spot because you would have a Big Ten winner from a much stronger Big Ten. You have an SEC runner-up between Alabama and Georgia. Then you would clearly have a shot. OK, uh, two SEC teams. Um, so it it really is going to come down to, in my mind, does Notre Dame bat out? Does Michigan beat Ohio State? And that's going to really let us know whether or not George is back in the mix. Uh, if all that happens and Georgia loses, does a two loss Georgia, you know, beat a one loss Oklahoma? that bats out and wins the big 12 take time to, you know, take time. We'll have to see the way, the way it pans, you know, the way it plays out. I happen to think that that Georgia um, is one of the four best teams in the country. Personally, uh, I, I think that Georgia is, if I were ranking the teams in terms of what I've seen, uh, I would rank Georgia third behind the big two. Uh, and right now, I would all honest, in all honesty, and I'm just talking about the best teams, the four best teams that I've seen, and the way they're playing right now would be Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Michigan. I understand Notre Dame has to go ahead of both of them because they have no losses and they beat Michigan. But if I play at Notre Dame playing right now on a neutral field, Against Georgia, I would pick Georgia. If I had Notre Dame playing on a neutral field right now against Michigan, I would pick Michigan. But if you're going to ask me right now to vote, I, I've got to obviously give Notre Dame the nod because they haven't lost a game. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Could we also say, as of now, that the 8-1 and one teams of Michigan, Georgia, and Ohio State, in a sense, control their own destiny? As in, if one of those teams wins out, they're probably going to get in for that last spot. Or second last spot. Because if Georgia can beat Alabama in the SEC title game, you would have to think they're going to get in, which would be unfortunate for either Michigan or Ohio State, who, if they both run the table, 
one of them is obviously going to beat the other one. That gives them the best chance to get in, and, and then you just kind of have to hope Alabama beats Georgia, and you'll be good to go. So they don't control their own destiny. I guess not. I guess which, not is a con- which, is a, which is a contradiction in terms. However, you know, because if whichever one wins, all right, uh, Notre Dame goes undefeated, George Clemson goes undefeated, and Georgia beats Alabama. Is the one-loss Michigan or Ohio State Big Ten winner going to get the nod over Alabama? That's why this is all a farce, Al. <laughs> Play the that's games, why, and then we'll decide. That's why I love four. That's why I love four because I'd rather have one get left out than too many get in. Start it with four. Eventually, it'll get to six or maybe eight. I love the fights. I love the discussion. It's much better to have not enough in versus too many. Eight is too many. I could even live down the line with six and a couple bobs. But right now, four is fine. You got to start somewhere. I started here. It generates great discussion. It generates controversy. It keeps the bowls being relevant, which is vital. All right. Uh, so. I'm fine with four because I always have a feeling that it works its way out. And I think that will happen again this year. I still think Notre Dame's going to lose a game. Let's go to the six pack so I can brag. So, so just again, a you bit wax slight. poetic, but yet another dominant week over yours truly. Just a little bit slight of a brag. I guess a belated birthday gift because this won't happen again. And of course, I wager no U.S. dollars on any of these games, which is why the teams were victorious. All I know is every week, folks, you know, Al from White Plains and John Tiny Lund go at it. And every week, like an idiot, you know, I want to show them how, like, loyal and dedicated I am to the show. So, like a dope, I make my picks first, okay, at, at like, 8 o'clock Saturday morning. Then his picks roll in, and every week he picks Clemson. I'm like an idiot, I pad. First of all, I, I go first, all right? And then he picks Clemson every week like an idiot, I don't. And then, you know, we go mano a mano this week with LSU as the deciding factor as to who's going to go two and one. And, of course, he gets the Duke because I fall for Coach O and Death Valley. And, you know, we're running all of them. You know, we're running 50 and throw 50 percent. Our conference offense got conference defense. And, you know, they get their doors blown up because they can't move the ball, you know, uh, you know, more than two, three first downs when the game is in the hat. So, you know, uh, and again, once again, I get suckered with Oklahoma. I'm done with Oklahoma. They never cover when I play them. So I'm done with Oklahoma. You know, I, I rolled, all right, uh, you know, with, uh, with my first pick, all right, uh, which was, you know, as I said all week, I thought Georgia would mall Kentucky, eight and a half on the road, 28-3, in control, never really in doubt. Then I went with Oklahoma 13 and a half at Texas Tech. I don't know what the under over was in the game. I guessed, you know, jokingly, I said to my son, it's probably 100. It wound up, you know, 51 45. Uh, so, oh, fumble. Green Bay just coughed it up. Oh, Christmas. Um, sorry, folks, as we watched the Sunday night game. Well, you watch and, ahead of me. I, I'm on a commercial right now on my feet. <laughs> and, uh, so that got me to one and one, and then uh, we end the uh, we end the Saturday with uh, John and I going mano mano. I took LSU with the fourteen, and uh, never a shot, never a shot. Well, first of all, it's usually a challenge for me to even get up in time for the noon start for college football games. So whenever uh, I can do be, that, ought to be twenty nine. Whenever I can do that and at least get you those games, it's usually a win. This week, Clemson started as minus 37. They bumped up to giving Louisville 39 points. They could have given them 50-plus. Everyone scored a touchdown for Clemson. Dabo's son scored a touchdown. Defensive lineman scored a touchdown. Al scored a touchdown wearing a Syracuse uniform with the orange helmet. Nobody realized they threw it to exactly. him. Exactly. They didn't even know it was me. Everybody got a touchdown. The demos could destroy, could sneak on the field and score. It was it was fun to watch if you're a Clemson fan and if you're an ACC fan too, but there was that tinge of what the hell has happened to Louisville since Lamar Jackson left. 
I turned the game on for like a sequence where Clemson was finally punting for the first time in the game. Louisville's player targeted the punter, ejecting him from the game. He celebrated like they had won the national championship. The next play, Clemson immediately ran it into the red zone. They tried to throw it to an offensive lineman to get him a touchdown. The play didn't work. He only caught the ball but was tackled. It's okay. They ran it in on the next play. It was 55-3 to three or whatever the score was. Brutal. But great to watch if, if you had the 37. Also, the Bo- uh, went with Bama, the Bob, as we the Bob, mentioned. The Bobby Petrino era has turned up. Oh, God. Yeah, that's going to be a talking point of – when's it going to be time to pull the plug with, with everything Louisville's had going on with all of its athletics as a whole? It's, it's not looking good. Patino and Petrino. <laughs> I wanted to have fun for my locals and friends back home and give one more for Penn state playing Michigan, not much more to play for at all. Maybe give a little bit of heart for one last go at Michigan, a little rivalry game, getting 13 points, maybe keep it close. I got wrecked. <laughs> this is a team that was going to the national championship earlier in the season. <laughs> it's the best I've seen Michigan play. Best I've seen Michigan play. Yeah, that, that was a statement win in, in a lot from of different ways. Lot best I've seen Michigan play from pillar to post. That game could have been worse. Yeah, it could have. In, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the first half, it was 14 nothing. It could have been 35 nothing in the first half. I'll take that loss. And then Bama, it was a... Yeah, they're finally playing somebody good, but it actually looks like they're for real, and they proved it. They they played great on both sides of the ball, and they, they really didn't have much trouble, which I thought they might. Night game, LSU, loud environment. They, they rose to the challenge, so we'll see if they can do that again a couple more times this season. To the National Football League, another stellar three-pack out of the six, but we'll start with yourself because you, you did give me these picks first yet again. I had a legit shot here. You know, I, I thought I was in the hunt for three and out. You know, I, I, this was a desperate Minnesota against a Detroit team that I think stinks uh, with a reeling Matt Patricia. I thought the line was cheap, uh, depending upon where you were, five, five and a half. Uh, that game was pretty much cruise control. Uh, so not a big issue there. I went back home to Kansas City, uh, which was not an anti-Brown play at all. I just thought, even though it was in Cleveland, I thought eight and a half was cheap. I thought that line was going to be double digits. And, uh, you know, they did what they always do. They just scored uh, an absolute bundle of points. And Baker Mayfield played well. The Cleveland offense was pretty good. But, you know, pretty good is not good enough against the Chiefs to be in the ballpark. And I, I, Seattle's been on a nice run, minus one at home. I'm basically picking a winner. You know, I had confidence in the way Seattle was playing. They've actually jumped out seven nothing, but played lousy thereafter, and then had a shot to pull a rabbit out of that and tie that game, like we talked about earlier. And unfortunately, they did not. So two and one for yours, truly. Panthers handled the Bucks. Fitz Magic came up a little short in his. Bid for another triumphant comeback. Three consecutive touchdowns after the Panthers raced out to a huge lead, but were able to hold on. Steelers getting two and a half on the road. This was pretty much an equal look at the teams. Obviously, they they think that they're both kind of on the same playing field, which they are every time they play. Took a fly with them. They ended up being okay. Also took a flyer, and it wasn't really one with the Texans, getting a point in the half. I'm surprised it wasn't the other way around. Denver could have kicked that field goal. And I still would have been okay because they would have won by a point. I would have rather that have happened to get the W in real life than for fantasy football purposes or however you want to look at it. But unfortunately, your real-life team loses, but you win these fictitious bets that we put on every week. Five and one. Not a bad way to celebrate a birthday. Write it down, folks, because it will never most likely happen again. And a kiss your sister three and three for yours, truly, which for me is a great week. So, Football now will pick up some steam for us, and it already has in both the NFL and certainly in college football. Storylines will run abound, but I think we've done another great job breaking everything down for episode 14 of New Report, Old Report.
Well, we do our best to try, I think, and touch on what has been most relevant since we only go once a week, which really makes it hard because you want to try and focus on everything that everybody's interested in. But I, I think what we really try and do with a once a week show is, yeah, cover as many bases as we, as we can, but try and really focus on what the story of the week has been. And to me, this, the story of this week, which I think we, we spent the lion's share of the program on was, was what happened you know, with respect to college football, because they're really now front and center, uh, Look, I, I, the, you, whatever floats your boat. When it comes to football, for me, I prefer college football. I think it's more exciting. Uh, I, I, I once you get out of the Big Twelve, I think there's more defense, uh, <laughs> with the exception of the Big Twelve. Uh, I, I just think it's 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 a lot more fun. Uh, the emotion of it, the spirit of it, uh, the camaraderie of it. The NFL is what it is. Um, no fun league, and there are some great stories and it will f- really be front and center uh, after we get through the final four scenario who the final four teams are going to be as we go down the last three, four weeks of the national football league season, because then we'll have a lull you know, with college because the final four will be, you know, pretty much selected um, in the next couple of weeks. But I-, I really think, you know, we're going to have these six or seven teams battling for the four spots uh, which is going to be terrific. The Michigan-Ohio State game, I always can't wait for it. I love it every year. I think it's one of the great events in sports. Uh, USC is not what they've been in the past. Uh, will they give Notre Dame a run for their money in what's going to be a huge game for the Fighting Irish? And, you know, um, I- I'm assuming Clemson and-, and Bama will just finish out uh, and-, and do what we expect them to do. So uh, then it'll come down to whether or not Oklahoma – is going to keep themselves in the mix uh, with you know the Big 12 championship game, which right now looks like it will be against West Virginia, who had a thrilling win that we didn't even discuss against Texas. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Big John, enjoy your week. Okay, 29 and one week. Keep rolling as you now are over the hump and headed towards your 30. Uh, everybody else out there, enjoy your sports week. Uh, We look forward to talking to you next week. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.